Uh, today uh, is a bit of a switch, so occasionally God will do this, where I have something planned the first of the week, and late in the week he's, he tweaks it sometimes or changes the order or the main idea. This week, Thursday afternoon, probably 1, 1.30, I just really sensed God's like, hey, just completely scrap what you've got planned for Sunday, and here, let's, let's do something totally different, which is always fun for me. Uh, that late in the week to have no idea what we're talking about three days from now, but God made it happen. So today we're going to talk about fear, because that seems to be a pretty prevalent topic. If, you, if you've been living under a rock, you probably should have stayed there, <laughs> okay? Uh, because if you're just now coming to consciousness, you're thinking it's literally the end of the world if you watch the news for 10 seconds. So this coronavirus thing, it's real, and there may be reasons to be concerned and fear. Let me just say this, and I'll mention this off and on. Fear is a normal, natural human emotion. So this is not saying don't ever be fearful. It's not saying you're never going to experience fear. But here's what we are saying. If you let fear run your life, fear will ruin your life. If fear goes unchecked in your life, it will wreck your life. That's what we're going to try to communicate this morning uh, by looking at what we're going to call the four dangers and changers of fear. Think about what, what's something now, let's think like before this last couple of weeks here, but pre-coronavirus, if we can even think in those terms anymore, what, what is one of your greatest fears? Maybe it's snakes, like Indiana Jones, you know. Maybe as a kid you were afraid of the dark. Maybe you still are. I don't know. Um, maybe it's heights. Maybe it's spiders. You know, the number one fear, according to studies, and this has been for years and years and years now, is public speaking. So I've clearly never had that problem, right, because <laughs> like, I'm doing this right now. And, I, you know, even as a kid, you know, I, went, I did 4-H speech contests at like five, six years old. I just never had an issue for some reason. I'm not like a super, super outgoing kind of person, but it's just something that I'm just not really that phased by. So, but for, that's the number one fear, even more than death. Like, I'd rather die than speak in public is what the statistics tell us. And so as the news this week about COVID-19 has gotten has increased, it seems that fear has also increased. If you've been to the store this week, you have seen the effects of what fear can do, what mass hysteria and panic can do. I had to go to the store yesterday just for a few normal items, okay? I'm not trying to buy stock in Charmin, okay, or Purell, not doing that. I just had to go for regular stuff. And it's amazing how the entire cereal line is was completely empty like not even one little cap and crunch was left it's all gone you know like the it's weird to see an entire section of the store gone like bare but that's where we're at that's what we're facing and it's really driven by crazy amounts of fear again fear can be normal but if you let it run your life it will ruin your life if it's left unchecked it will wreck your life. So we're looking at four dangers and changers of fear. And to do that, the four dangers are going to spell out the word fear. So we're going to use this acronym or acrostic, however you want to phrase that, to look at four dangers of fear. And then everyone will also be accompanied by a changer, a fear changer. How we can kind of keep fear in its proper place. How we can keep it from overwhelming us completely. So we're going to get to four of these dangers and changers of fear. The first danger of fear we're going to talk about for a few minutes here is that fear can cause us to forget. Fear can cause us to forget. Fear can be blinding. Fear can be disorienting. 
fear can keep us from seeing what's obviously right in front of us. It, it just so clouds our minds and our emotions and our judgment that we don't maybe make rational decisions, hence the empty shelves in the store, uh, because we're just blinded and overcome with fear. There's, there's a, a time in the life of Jesus, and it's listed in multiple Gospels. We're going to look at this one in Mark chapter 4, where as Jesus and his disciples would often do, living in the region that they do, they are on boats all the time. They're crossing seas to go from this place to that place all the time. Normal occurrences. A lot of the guys that he has as disciples were fishermen before they met Jesus. So they're used to being on the water. They're used to being in boats. And you would assume they're probably used, they've probably been in a storm or two. But here's what happens in Mark chapter 4. Let's start at verse number 37. So a great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. But he, that's Jesus, was in the stern asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? See, the disciples forgot who was in the boat with them. Now, they didn't forget completely because they knew who to wake up, right? They knew, okay, all of us are freak out mode here, and he is sound asleep. He is sawing logs. What is your problem? They're like, don't you even care? Don't you know what's going on? So they knew Jesus was in the boat with them, but on some level, they forgot Jesus was in the boat with them. Do you see the difference there? They knew he was there, but they forgot really maybe who he was for a second because fear caused them to forget. Can I just encourage you in the middle of whatever storm you may be facing now, Jesus is with you in your boat. Okay? In the middle of this coronavirus outbreak, Jesus is in the boat. Don't forget. Don't let fear cause us to forget. He's in the boat. Sometimes in the midst of struggle and difficulty, we know we, if we're a person of faith, we know we have faith, but if fear begins to overtake us, we forget maybe that we are people of faith. We forget the confidence that we can have in Jesus, the faith that we can have in him, the protection that we have through him. We forget. It's easy to do. So today's just a simple reminder to not forget. Remember, Jesus is in the boat with you. And so then if that's the danger, the number one fear changer is the opposite then. To remember. Remember that Jesus is in the boat. Remember that he is the same, the scripture says, yesterday, today, and forever. Remember that. Let's go to Psalm 103. I, I like this, the way it phrases this in the uh, English Standard Version. Psalm 103, verse 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not. You could say remember there. All his benefits. What are the benefits? He forgives your iniquity and what? Heals all your diseases. Does that include coronavirus? I would assume so. It says all there, okay? I would assume that means even this, all right? Who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. 
I'm also reminded of Psalm 23 when David said, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. How much evil? None. Zero. No evil do I fear. Why? Because you are with me. Remember, Jesus is always in your boat with you. So there's no need to panic. There's no need that fear should overtake us because we can remember that he's with us. In fact, Jesus thought it was so important to remind us of that fact. It's some of the last words he ever said on this planet. He gathers his disciples together before he ascends into heaven. The last thing he tells them is, know that I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Always. Not sometimes. Well, you know, if this virus breaks out, dudes, I'm out. It didn't say that. He makes, he makes no, like, secondary option here. Well, if this happens, I can't handle that, so you're on your own. Or if this gets too big, I don't know if I can take on that much pressure. He says, I am with you always. And it was so important to him, it was the last thing he ever said on this planet. I am with you always. So when fear tries to get us to forget that truth, we have to fight that danger with this fear changer to remember what God has said, what he's already done. When you're faced with an impossible situation, when you're faced with a difficult decision, when you're faced with an unexpected problem, see, this is not just coronavirus related, okay? It brings up this topic because it's a hot button issue, but this is a topic that will, that will be part of the rest of our lives, Fear just doesn't decide to take a day off. Like, fear just doesn't go away. It's something that's going to continually creep up in different situations that we will continue to face. And sometimes they're personal. Sometimes they're family-related. Sometimes it is a worldwide problem that we face, but we have to still remember what God's brought us through and what God has said. A good memory can be a very effective weapon to combat fear. The second fear danger, then, the letter E, is that fear is an energy sucker. Really, maybe a better way to say it, it's an energy misappropriator, okay? Here's what Jesus says about that, Matthew 6, verse 27, part of the Sermon on the Mount. He asks this question. I'd like for you to answer this question for me. Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? Right. We know the answer, don't we? We We know the answer to that question, but too often we don't live like we know the answer to that question. We allow fear to suck energy from us, to put it in the wrong place. He goes on in verse 34 to say, So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. Let me be clear, that doesn't mean that we don't wash our hands, okay? That's not what he's saying. He's not saying you can go dig in the dirt and touch your face. He's, he, that's, when he says don't worry, he's not saying be stupid, okay? He's not saying be foolish, so, yeah, we wipe down everything, in the, like every, every back of every pew has been wiped down, every doorknob, even ones we don't use, I wiped down this morning, okay? Because we're going to take, take precautions, but guess what? That's going to help us, hopefully, to not worry and inter- suck our energy in directions it shouldn't go. Maybe you're a chronic worrier. I hope maybe this will be an encouragement for you. Unchecked fear. An uncontrolled worry will cause us, here's the problem, it focuses our energy on things that we can't control anyway, okay? So many things in life I don't have control over, but if I allow fear and uncertainty to make me focus on those things, guess what? 
other things get neglected. Other relationships get neglected. Other things that I can control get left by the wayside and they begin to suffer because my energy has been diverted in this direction that does me no good at all. It's paralysis by analysis sometimes. It's overthinking all these scenarios and situations. Again, preparedness is fine, okay? Being ready is fine. Doing the things that the CDC says is fine. But then living in your bunker worried about the end of the world is not fine. Why? Because it's not helpful. Again, if if you're in a high-risk area and you want to stay back, I get that. That's fine. That's great. Uh, I'm not saying we should be foolish, but there's a difference between wisdom and worry. Those are different things. So we want to find the balance here to not pull our energy from what's important so that then the other areas of our life begin to suffer. So to fight this fear danger, the number two fear changer is we must adjust. We must adjust. What does that mean? A couple scriptures here. Romans 12, verse 2, Paul says this. He encourages us, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So what Paul would say, if he were here right now, and he were giving us instruction on how to deal with this, he would say, if you're a person of faith, you can choose to freak out like everybody else, or you can allow the Holy Spirit to help you change the way you think. You can adjust. You can approach it differently. You can approach it in a more healthy, balanced way way because all the worrying in the world isn't going to stop coronavirus okay if there were we would have already put like a bunch of worry into a huge missile and just blown it into the atmosphere okay that's not how it works and so jesus and paul would say we have to change the way we think the holy spirit will help us to make those proper adjustments to fight fear and here's one simple it's very clear here in philippians 4 one simple adjustment strategy it seems very obvious. You're going to roll your eyes as you're reading this. Like, okay, Stephen, how basic can you make this? But it's a good reminder. Here we go. Philippians 4, verse 6. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. The world needs this life verse right now. Okay? Like, we desperately need to put that up everywhere. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He has done. So it connects with the previous thing about remembering, okay? then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. We need guards for our hearts and our minds to push back fear and put it in its proper place. And prayer is, a, is an adjustment tool to help us to do that. So it says, instead of worrying, pray. So when faced with a difficult decision, don't worry, pray. When faced with uncertainty, don't worry, pray. When you face an unsurmountable problem, don't worry, pray. When you have maybe a diagnosis that takes you off guard, don't worry, pray. When you you read the news or watch the news or listen to the news, don't worry, pray. Prayer is a way more effective tool because it actually does something, which in worrying just sucks our energy from us and puts it in an improper place. So we have to adjust the way that we think and react, and we can do that through prayer. The third danger of fear is this, and it kind of follows an order here. So fear can lead to apathy. 
The A there is apathy. Sometimes this is due to the previous danger. If so much of your energy is sucked out of you through fear, you can just become kind of blah about everything. Ah, you know, I don't know. It doesn't make much difference anyway. I really don't want to, you know, I I could be proactive, but it may not help. So ah, blah, just whatever, okay? So fear can beat us down until we just become blah about everything. Let me give you this example from Scripture, and this is both the danger and the changer in the same example. It's this guy in the Old Testament named Job. So Job is a righteous man by all accounts, by all descriptions, um, and, but he suffers greatly in his life. If you read the first couple chapters of his story in the Old Testament, you read that like all of his children die through traumatic accidents and events. All of his crops are raided. All of his cattle and animals die. He's completely broke all of a sudden without warning for no reason. And then he becomes extremely physically ill. And so apathy would be a temptation for Job. And it seems at the beginning of a story, he's starting to sink into that. Let's, let's read how this kind of starts. Because what happens is three of his good friends hear about his situation. They decide we're going to come and we're going to talk with Job. And we're going to talk him through this and we're going to be there for them. And he, you know, spoiler alert, he calls them miserable comforters midway through their conversation. So, you know, it's not great. When your friend calls you out, he says, I'm more miserable now because you're here than I was before. But anyway, they come, Job 2, verse 12. It says, when they saw Job from a distance, they scarcely recognized him. Wailing loudly, they tore their robes and threw dust into the air over their heads to show their grief. Then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and nights. No one said a word to Job, for they saw that his suffering was too great for words. Again, let me clarify what I'm not saying. I am not saying God expects you to be a robot, okay? God hardwired you with emotions on purpose, okay? So that's the way we interact with him, with each other, is through emotions, fear being one of them. Fear can be a very powerful tool if it's used correctly. Fear can keep you alive, right? Fear of dying keeps me from jumping off the top of a building, Okay, that's, it's a safety mechanism. That's why God put it in there. But when it overrides our system, that's when the bad things begin to happen. And so we see here that Job is kind of getting sucked down into this apathetic sort of way of life, at least for a small amount of time. But, and there's, a, there, let me just say, that's okay. And let me give you an example of that. Ecclesiastes 3 verse 4, it's this classic passage from the Old Testament about there's a time and season for everything. Okay, so verse 4 says, there's a time to cry, that's fine, and a time to laugh. There's a time to grieve, and there's a time to dance. So there, there may be in your life seasons of blah, times of apathy. There may be moments of doubt. There may be moments of disbelief. There, there may be times where you are just so beaten down and so discouraged. But there should be a season that follows that. Right? The problem with apathy setting in too deeply, getting too entrenched in our spirits, in our hearts, through fear, is that we get stuck. We get stuck in a rut that becomes a hole, that becomes a pit, that becomes a prison. We get stuck for too long. We don't, we don't try to see what's maybe on the other side of this. We don't try to look at different things regarding this situation. The problem is when we get stuck. That's the danger of apathy is when it gets so out of control that we just can't get out. 
So to fight this fear danger, the third fear changer is again the opposite, which is encouragement. So even just a little small jolt of hope can mean everything, even in the worst of situations. Even just trying to see, okay, is there even a glimmer of positivity that I can see through this terrible ordeal? Just the smallest glimmer of light can help to change everything. And it can come in many forms. So let's go back to Job. His friends that showed up, they thought they were going to give him encouragement, right? That was their intention, I think. I think they had good intentions. They just didn't have any idea how to do that very well. And so literally, like I said, in the middle of this discussion, Job says, you guys are miserable comforters. You are terrible. You should definitely not become a counselor or a therapist. You're terrible at it. You would get fired immediately. You would have no clients at all. And uh, so they try to bring encouragement, but it, it didn't work for them or for Job. So as you read this book of Job, it's interesting. Maybe it's a good time to read their discussion about evil and why it happens and how God works and how we think about how God works. That's what they're doing. They're having a philosophical discussion and debate about why this is happening to Job and what he's done to deserve it. And maybe God's not so good after all. And they just have all these ideas and discussions about about God and justice and all that sort of thing. So near the end, God's been listening in, I guess, to their conversation. He decides, hey, I want to talk for a minute. You know, hey, I'd like to give my input here. You're talking about me. I'd like to talk about myself for a second. So four of the last five chapters of this book is God just going on and on and on about himself. But you think, okay, God, calm down, you know. It's like power trip much, ego much, but here's the point. And we'll read a a couple verses of this in just a second. When you read God's response, it kind of comes off a little bit harsh. When you just read the words on the page, it kind of comes off like, I'm big and strong and you are nothing, you know. Just suck it up and deal with it. I don't have to explain anything to you. There's a little bit of that in there, but here's the deal. Sometimes we need a good swift kick in the pants, we don't think of that as encouragement, but if we receive it in that way, it can have that, a huge effect on helping us to uh, feel encouraged, to see, hey, okay, I am caught in this cycle of apathy. I am caught in a cycle of self-pity. I am caught in a woe-is-me mentality. I got to get out of this. And they, you know, I thought about this this morning, and I wish I'd have had time because I'd show you the clip. But if you've seen the movie Airplane... There's a scene where there's a lady in, in the aisle seat, and she's starting to freak out. And so one of the uh, flight attendants comes and shakes her, you know, get a hold of yourself. And then somebody taps her on the shoulder and says, I'll take care of this. And then he shakes her harder, get a hold of yourself. And then on and on, it shows this huge long line of people shaking this poor woman who's kind of freaking out. Sometimes we need that. We don't see that that's encouraging, but it can help us to snap out of apathy. So here's what God does. I love how he says, this is Job chapter 40, verses 9 and 10. Job says, or God, I'm sorry, God says, are you as strong as God? Can you thunder with a voice like his? And then he has kind of a funny challenge for Job. He says, all right, Job, put on your glory and splendor. Put on your honor and majesty. I like that. You know, God's kind of like, seriously, stop doubting, stop debating, just trust. And for Job, that kind of did snap him out of this. Because in the end, he's like, oh, wow, I've been thinking about this all wrong. I've thought about God all wrong. I've read the situation completely off here. And he ends up saying, okay, you know, I'm just going to surrender. I'm just going to trust. So for Job, this was encouragement for him. Now, um, no, I'm not going to say that. Never mind. Filter, Stephen. You can do it. All right. 
So in the end, God's response to Job was encouraging. Because as you look at the, I mean, a couple hundred verses nearly that God goes on and on and on without interruption, here's what he, he says a few things. He says, hey, you know who knows when every baby calf is born? I do. You know, when I, you know who knows when every wild mountain goat gives birth? I do. You know who keeps track of every wild donkey in the wilderness? I do. You know who knows how deep the oceans are? I do. So, and again, it comes off as pretty strong, but it's an encouragement. Because here's what God's saying to Job that he would say to us today. I am not in control, but God is. Even when I feel like I'm in some sort of control, I'm really not, but God always is. When I watch the news and the world is freaking out, God is not freaking out. When things seem like they are wild and crazy and out of control, God is not. We can get ourselves out of this apathetic sort of spiral if we remain encouraged by who God truly is. By exercising our faith to know and believe who he truly is. God is not thrown off by a news headline. God is not thrown off by a virus. God is not thrown off by a bank statement. God is not thrown off by a diagnosis. God is never thrown off by anything that happens or changes or surprises us. So we don't have to be apathetic, but we can be encouraged. Here's the fourth fear danger as we start to wrap it up today, and that is retreat. The fourth danger that fear causes us to do is we go from apathy to total retreat. This is the final nail in your coffin of fear because it's saying, I'm just giving up completely. I'm bowing out. Uh, this is to I'm totally done, totally defeated. I'm waving the white flag. I surrender. No more. Done. There's a story, in, again, in the life of Jesus in Luke chapter 8 where he's had, if you read Luke 8, he's had a very busy day. He's got a lot of things have happened. Even the storm we just talked about that he's calmed happens earlier in this same day. So as they're coming back across uh, the sea, uh, as soon as they like hit the land, of course, someone comes to Jesus with an urgent request. That's just how his life was. So this man says, hey, my daughter is gravely ill on the verge of death. Would you come and heal her? And so Jesus says, oh, yeah, sure, you don't live that far. Let's, let's go take care of this thing. But the story that we're going to focus on is not about this man or his daughter. It's about somebody else. Because here's what happens. Luke 8, the end of verse 42 and 43. As Jesus went with him to this man and his daughter, he was surrounded by the crowds. A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding, and she could find no cure. So if any woman, if any person has the right to retreat, it's this woman. She suffered for over a decade with an incurable disease. She's heard the words, I'm so sorry, way too many times from doctor after doctor after doctor. There's nothing we can do. There's nothing we can do. There's no cure. There's no hope. She has every reason to retreat. And really what's happened here is socially, she's already an outcast. Her condition has made her culturally unclean. She shouldn't even be in public. She's in the high-risk category, if you will. She shouldn't be out with other people. She, she, and if she's really found out, there's a chance that she's going to really be punished and ridiculed for being out in public against the law, really. So she's out here in this crowd, with, but has every reason, every right to retreat. That's over. It's done. She, what she should go home and do, the experts would say, just go home and die. 
That's, that's, your, that's your diagnosis. That's your prognosis. Go home and die. But what she does is she fights this fear danger with the fourth fear changer, and that is that she moves forward. Verse 44, coming up behind Jesus, she touched the fringe of his robe. Immediately, the bleeding stopped. Instead of retreating and dying at home, she saw an opportunity and she jumped at it. She saw, this is probably my final shot here. This guy, Jesus, he's probably not going to come through our town again before I'm dead. I got one shot, and I'm going to take it. And when you read Matthew's account of this same event, he records kind of what she's thinking. She said, okay, if I can just touch the edge of his garment, I believe I'll be healed. And that's what she does, and she was healed. So she wasn't satisfied or content to retreat. She wasn't satisfied to sit around and suffer and feel sorry for herself and give up and quit. Now, here's the thing. Her effort wasn't an automatic guarantee, right? She's going out on a hunch here. She's going out on a limb here. She's going out on nothing but hope here, and it, but it worked in her favor. She had to move forward. You and I, we cannot retreat. We cannot allow retreat to be an option for our lives, especially for people of faith. Um, mis- possible mistakes of taking a chance aren't a reason to not take that chance. Okay? The possibility of hearing the word no is not a reason to not ask a question. The, the possibility of things may not turn out the way I want is not a reason to not try and do anything, to not take a risk or a chance or make a change or an adjustment. It's not a reason. Possible unknowns or risks or whatever are not a reason to retreat. Don't allow fear to keep you from moving forward. Now, again, with this virus, if you feel ill, please stay home, okay? Please. If you're in a high-risk area and you feel it's not safe to get out like normal, that's okay, okay? But that doesn't mean we're going to live that way forever. There's, do we see the difference? I don't feel like maybe that's communicated very clearly on the news. This is going to end at some point one way or another. I mean, it is, and so I don't want to trivialize the situation, but that's the reality of our situation, so it's fine to be sanitary, to take precautions with this specific thing, in gen- you know, specifically. Uh, and I'll just say this, as the, as the situation moves along, even this week, if there are future reasons that we cannot be open, then we will not be open. So we're not going to defy the government and open just because. We're not going to defy logic and reasoning. Uh, we're not going to endanger the public or you guys by just, oh, we're just going to do it, you know. If it become, And there are many churches all over uh, that have done that already, uh, mainly larger ones because they're above that threshold. But if it gets to that point where they say, don't do anything, like don't leave your house this week, we won't be here next weekend, okay, if it gets to that point, And we'll let you know about that. So again, we're not saying foolishness is the answer. We're saying faith is the answer to fear. We're not saying it just, oh, just buck the system because I'm going to show them. Uh, that's not probably the best witness either. Um, there's, again, balance is the key to this whole situation. So balance is the key. Fighting fear requires that balance. So as you've seen here, I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but what we've done to fight the fear dangers is the fear changers turn fear on its head. So I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but the fear, the answer to everyone is fear backwards. So we're turning fear on its head to fight it at its core. We're saying if we want to do the if we want the opposite result of this, let's do the opposite to get that result. If we want to say no to this thing, well let's turn it on its head and do do something different to change the situation. We're going to flip fear on its head. We're going to confuse, you know, fear and it's just got nowhere to go. It's got nowhere to stay in my life. 
because I refuse to live and be overcome by fear.